Well, hey there, everybody. Welcome to Gather and Go, the podcast that helps you plan, promote, and lead better trips. I'm Brian Jewell. I am your host, and I am so excited that you are going to spend some of your time with us today. And as always, our promise to you is that we're going to do everything we can to make that investment of your time worth your while. And today we're going to do that through a really informative featured conversation with Dr. Tammy Allen of Travel Meds to Go. If you have ever been sick on a trip or maybe had somebody in your group that was sick or had an injury or some other health issue, you know how quickly medical problems can ruin an otherwise great trip. And uh, Dr. Tammy is going to share lots of tips and helpful information with us to help us make sure we're doing everything we can to eliminate the risk of those medical issues and uh, make sure everybody on the trip is prepared with everything they need to have uh, to ensure they can have a great time on the road without medical issues getting in the way. That's going to be a super helpful conversation that you're going to get a lot out of, I promise. First, though, let's start by getting into some travel news you may have missed. Cruise lines are changing itineraries to avoid unrest in the Middle East. Numerous cruise lines have changed or canceled sailings in the Red Sea around Yemen, where Houthi militants have recently attacked a number of commercial shipping vessels. Silver Sea changed the itinerary of a January cruise to avoid the area, sailing in and out of Jordan instead of a planned disembarkation in Oman. MSC Cruises rerouted the itinerary of its MSC Poesia, which is in the midst of a 115-day around-the-world cruise, to circumnavigate Africa instead of passing through the Suez Canal to the Red Sea. The company also canceled three repositioning voyages that would have sailed through the area. And finally, Azamara Cruises also recently announced that it would be canceling its fall 2024 sailings in the region, instead moving its Azamara journey to offer foliage cruises in Canada and New England this fall. Now, as unrest continues in the region, we can expect to see more similar moves from both cruise lines and tour companies. So keep an eye on these developments as you plan your group's travels for the rest of this year and even 2025. Well, now it's time for the road tip segment of our show. This is the portion of every episode where we dig deep into our bag of travel experience to deliver some tips that we think will help you make your next trip less stressful and more successful. You know, I have been on more uh, fam tours and riders tours and similar kind of VIP tours around the country than I can remember at this point after 20 years in travel journalism. And one of the things that I always look forward to on tours like that is the welcome kits or baskets or bags that uh, trip hosts uh, invariably leave for me and other participants in our hotel rooms uh, when we first arrive for the trip. Now, there can be all sorts of things in those baskets and bags, and they range from uh, little swag like pens and notebooks and things to uh, snacks, which I'll be honest, those are my favorite. And uh, if you put a really good snack in a welcome basket, uh, I'm probably going to eat it before I do anything else. Uh, but so there are there are little swag items, there are snacks, but sometimes hosts also put in some really helpful items uh, that come in handy for the rest of that trip. 
And I got to thinking about this the other day and thought, you know, I don't think these goodie bags should be limited just to fams or other kind of VIP trips. I think giving away, handing out some great helpful items like this would be a wonderful way for any group trip operator to help their travelers, add some value to their travelers, and also maybe avoid some situations or hassles that could come up during the trip by being prepared with things your travelers may not have thought of. Now, later on in our featured conversation, Dr. Tammy is going to talk about the sorts of first aid items that travelers and travel planners should have on hand. So I thought for this tip, I would focus on some other really helpful items that I have received in welcome bags and baskets over the years that I think you ought to consider including in the goodie bag that you hand out at the beginning of a tour. So five suggestions for you. Number one, wet wipes. Uh, these are just the little individual package things. They're in the little foil pouches. You tear one open and pull it out anytime you need uh, to quickly wipe something off your hands or maybe uh, you've spilled a drink on the seat on the motor coach. Maybe you got something on the tray table. Maybe you've been snacking on some chocolate and it's not quite coming off your fingers as easily as you hoped and you don't want to just lick them in front of everybody. Those wet wipes are so convenient, super helpful, and also really, really affordable. Another really helpful thing that I've talked about before is stain remover. I'm talking about like a, a shout pin or a, a tide pin. Sometimes you get these in a white form instead of a pin. Uh, these are so helpful when those unexpected stains come up on a trip. And you can get little uh, kind of individual single use uh, sizes uh, in a pouch or in a pin. And they're not very expensive. And uh, they are really welcome in those moments when someone has a stain and they're not sure how to deal with it. Another thing I have found really helpful, especially if you're traveling in the winter months or maybe to a windy place, is a simple tube of chapstick. Because uh, in the best of times, travel can, uh, well, it can dry us out a little bit. Sometimes hotels are dry environments, certainly airplanes and sometimes motor coaches are dry. And uh, if you're traveling in a dry climate or certainly during a cold weather months, that dryness, the wind and the cold can really chap your lips and having some chapstick on hand uh, is super helpful and uh, provides a lot of relief. Another thing to consider if you are traveling in a rainy season or in a part of the world that gets a lot of rain would be to include some ponchos in those goodie bags. Uh, once again, we're talking about single use ponchos, the kind of things that are maybe not even as thick as uh, a trash bag that you use in your trash can at home. Uh, what a difference a poncho can make, especially because nobody wants to carry an umbrella around on a rainy day on tour. Put these ponchos in the bag. Uh, they don't cost very much money, but they can really save your travelers and their clothes and their hairdos. And if it does rain, uh, your travelers will thank you for thinking of that ahead of time. And one more related idea. If you are traveling in the summer, if you're going to a place that is sunny or a place that is hot, consider putting a little single use tube of sunscreen in that goodie bag. Now, hopefully you have prepared your people ahead of time and they've thought to bring sunscreen, but you never know who's going to forget or who might run out, who might have packed uh, their sunscreen in their checked luggage, which is beneath the motor coach and they don't have any on board when they need it. Well, if you've got one tiny little tube of sunscreen in that goodie bag, it's really helpful. I have carried one of those little single use tubes of sunscreen 
in my carry-on for years now because somebody gave it to me in uh, a gift bag like that once. It has saved my skin more than once and I was super grateful to it. So the lesson of today, the tip to take away, pack a goodie bag and make sure you're not just putting snacks or knickknacks in there, but include some of these really helpful items and your travelers will be glad you did. That is your road tip of the week. Now, before we move on, I want to share just a little bit of news from us. Now, if you are new to the podcast, uh, number one, I hope you are enjoying it. But number two, did you know that we publish lots of other great travel content as well? That includes magazines and websites and e-newsletters, which might be the very best way to keep up with our content. Our flagship e-newsletter is called the Group Travel Minute. It comes out twice a month and you can subscribe completely free right now at grouptravelleader.com slash subscribe. What do you get if you subscribe to the Group Travel Minute? Well, you are going to get our very best articles and our very latest articles. In fact, all the same content that we publish in print magazines, you can get in the Group Travel Minute. That is uh, destination articles, uh, news about tourism developments, ideas and themes and trip itineraries, uh, nuts and bolts, insights, all kinds of great content that we're putting together every month. That gets delivered straight to your inbox uh, twice a month when you subscribe to the Group Travel Minute. Did I mention that it's free? I did. It's free. All you have to do is go to grouptravelleader.com slash subscribe. I'm going to put that link in the show notes to make it convenient for you. And so if you're not already a subscriber, Well, what are you waiting for? Press pause on the podcast, click on that link, go sign up for the e-newsletter and then come back and uh, you won't regret it. You're going to get so much great content and great group travel ideas. It is going to energize you, inspire you, and you will never run short on ideas and contacts and intelligence for your next group travel adventure. Well, now it's just about time for us to get into our featured conversation with Dr. Tammy Allen. Before we get there, though, let me remind you that you don't need to take notes during this interview because I am taking notes for you. That's right. I'll come back at the end of the conversation to hit some highlights, some of the key takeaways from what Dr. Tammy had to say. And you can also find those same key takeaways in the show notes for this episode and show notes are, well, they're right below wherever you are listening to this podcast, whether it is an app on your phone or on our website or somewhere else. You can always find the show notes directly below the media player, uh, full of all kinds of helpful information. And let me encourage you to stick around to the end of the interview and after that wrap up, because when we're done, I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, how our industry is treating budget conscious travelers and whether we may need to be doing more to make sure people on the lower end of the cost spectrum still have access to travel experiences. That's going to be today's hot minute. You won't want to miss that. We'll be right back with Dr. Tammy Allen. All right, everybody. My guest today is a family medicine physician with over two decades of experience. After a four-year stint in the Navy, she earned her medical degree and has since spent much of her career traveling to practice at hospitals in economically disadvantaged communities. 
Her love of travel recently inspired her to establish Travel Meds to Go, a telemedicine practice that offers pre-trip medical consultations, as well as urgent care services, prescription refills, and other helpful services for travelers. Dr. Tammy Allen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm excited to be here today. I'm so excited to have you. This is a topic we have not got into on the podcast, but it's something that affects pretty much everyone who travels, uh, which is that sooner or later, uh, when you're traveling, you are going to need some medicine, you're going to have a a sickness, you're going to have an injury, and it's awfully handy to know what to do in those situations. But before we get there, I would love for our listeners to hear the story of how you got interested in travel coming from a medical background. Okay. So I've always enjoyed travel. Um, My parents instilled in us a um, love for adventure, I guess. As kids, we traveled up and down the East Coast and they would stop in really neat places and get off the interstate and drive through um, that country. So, you know, we went through a lot of the Blue Ridge Parkway and Great Smoky Mm -hmm. Mountains and Shenandoah National Park. So, and and we'd always stop and have picnics and um, visit neat little places. So I always had this love of travel, but never thought about going overseas. Um, when I was in medical school, um, I convinced my dean that I needed to go to Mexico for four weeks for a Spanish immersion course, and she he she agreed, <laughs> and I was hooked. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, th- that was such an amazing experience for me. Um, grew up in a rural town and just, you know, going somewhere different and the language is different. The culture is different. Um, I was hooked. I was ready to travel for the rest of my career. <laughs> yeah. And so tell us about some of the, the work you did once you finished medical school. You've, you've traveled to a lot of different places to uh, treat people, right? I, absolutely. So I thought that I was going to go the traditional family medicine path and set up in a rural area and help um, disadvantaged communities and rural communities. But th- I think that love of travel got the best of me. I really decided that I was going to um, work in um, first. At that time, I thought I was going to work in the Hispanic community mm-hmm. um, after doing that. A Spanish immersion course. So I went out to Arizona, Phoenix, Arizona, um, to do my residency. And there I found that most of the people there were not first generation Mexicans. So they really didn't need my Spanish. <laughs> and so my plans changed a little bit. And by the time I finished residency, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, I knew I didn't want to do the traditional family medicine um, role. Um, So I joined a locum company. And for those who don't know what that is, that's a um, traveling physician. If you've heard of traveling nurses, it's the same thing for um, physicians. My first assignment was on a Navajo reservation in northern Arizona. Wow. Love that. Um, I knew then I was, there was no going back. So I continued to do travel assignments for the rest of my 20 years. Wow. <laughs> so I've worked pretty much everywhere on Navajo reservations, on bo- in border towns, all up and down um, Southwest, um, all across the U.S. Um, I've worked in the Black Mountains of 
uh, New Hampshire, the Washington State. I've been everywhere and I absolutely love it. That is amazing. Wow. What a way to see the country and do a lot of good while you're out there. I love that. So um, what are some of the most common medical issues that you hear about people encountering specifically when they travel that maybe they're not thinking about so much when they're at home? Right. So um, one thing that people don't think about, and I I don't necessarily, um, there's no particular medication for this, but I just want to bring it up, is people don't think about traveler's ear or um, airplane ear. Mm. Um, When your ears get clogged and they're very painful, there are a lot of people that suffer from that condition. Um, so that's one. So I encourage people to take gum with them, to chew the gum. Um, it helps equalize the pressure, uh, and help with that pain. But one of the biggest things that travelers encounter is traveler's diarrhea. Mm -hmm. Um, something like 50% of international travelers will get traveler's diarrhea at some point in their travels. Um, so that's a big one. Motion sickness is also a big one. Mostly we think about cars and boats and ships, but any mode of transportation can cause motion sickness. So that's something that people don't think about. And of course, um, Travel Meds to Go has medications for both traveler's diarrhea and motion sickness. Um, the other thing, if you're going uh, mountain climbing, altitude sickness, especially when you get above 8,000 feet, um, insect bites and stings, which, you know, we can get those here as well, but we're, we may be talking about different types of insects and bugs than we are accustomed to um, when we go overseas. Um, the other thing, sunburn, uh, a common problem for travelers, uh, because especially as you get closer to the equator, and if you're not used to being out in the sun as much, and this can cause real problems for you. And then, of course, there's dehydration, the respiratory problems, those types of things. And accidents and injuries that another thing people don't think about. Yeah, yeah, sure. All right. So you mentioned uh, the bane of every international traveler, which is that traveler's diarrhea. Uh, Give us a little bit more insight. Is that often something that is like a, a bacterial infection or can it also come from just being on planes or eating different foods? I mean, what what's behind that? So the actual traveler's diarrhea is an infection. Okay. Um, when you are going someplace and you're out of your normal um, eating routine, then you can get diarrhea from that as well. Um, and that's a little different. The actual traveler's diarrhea um, is a bacterial or even sometimes a viral infection mm. that comes from um, contaminated food, um, um, bad water, Um, just not having very good hygiene practices in the area you're in. And um, so that's how you'll get the bane of our travel existence, often called Montezuma's revenge. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's right. So how does somebody know um, when they need to seek treatment for that? Because, you know, like you said, it might be you just had a meal that was unfamiliar food and your your digestive system is handling it differently. But when do you know that, okay, this has been going on a while or it has this certain symptom and it's an infection and I need to get some help? Right. So typically with the traveler's diarrhea, you should have you know, um, a few days of diarrhea. Um, if it's continuing to last, if you're having uncontrollable diarrhea, I'd say 
10 times a day and you just can't keep up with your hydration. You cannot drink enough. Um, You feel thirsty all of the time. If you're having really bad stomach cramps um, with it, like really bad pain, I don't mean just your typical stomach cramps. I mean, if you're having a lot of pain, that's those are signs that you need to be seen. The other thing, if you have blood in your stool, if blood's in your diarrhea, that's another um, sign that you need to be seen. So anytime you start to get dehydrated from it, anytime you have severe pain, blood in your stool, if it's lasting more than a few days, um, you need to seek help. Yeah. Wow. That's so good to know. Now, uh, what are some of the things that people should do to avoid that? Is it always something you can avoid or is it, you know, sometimes just out there and you can't always stay away from it? It is not something you can always avoid. I am um, a neat freak. <laughs> I, you know, I I very rarely shake hands because I'm just, I'm a germaphobe. Let's put it that way. <laughs> and I have gotten traveler's diarrhea. And it's because, you know, you can go to a five-star restaurant in certain company countries and the Although the sanitation system may be good in that particular hotel or restaurant, you've still got workers who are accustomed to doing things in their local customs, and that may not include the best hygiene. So um, you can be in the best of places and still get traveler's diarrhea despite doing everything that you can do. That being said, you should always wash your hands, wash your hands frequently, use hand sanitizer and do everything you can to protect yourself. But that is not always a hundred percent. That's why you need to take something with you. (laughs) Yeah. Oh man. That's, that's so good to know because I've been in that situation where I think, man, I did everything right. I did, I drank bottled water for a week. You know, I never, never had a, an unpeeled fruit or anything like that. And then it's just, you know, uh, it it just happens. So I'm, I'm glad it's not just because of my own stupidity uh that something like that comes up and drink it eating the ice (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah exactly now another thing you mentioned um was that altitude sickness and that is something that i feel like catches a lot of people off guard i remember going uh to cusco peru years ago Uh which is way up high a gorgeous place amazing place but the first day we were there i had this terrible headache i was lethargic i but i didn't know what was going on i didn't realize what was going on. So for, for people that don't know what to look for, what are the signs of that altitude sickness and how should they uh, respond to it? Right. So you can have um, all types of symptoms and different people are different, but headache, as you mentioned, dizziness, nausea and vomiting, um, feeling very short of breath. Um, and, you know, people sometimes People that are new to altitude sickness will try to ignore those symptoms, but I would encourage them not to because it can lead to something called pulmonary edema, which is fluid buildup in your lungs, Mm. or even cerebral edema, which is fluid on your brain. And Mm. all of those things are life-threatening. But when you are um, climbing and you start to feel any of those symptoms that... um, that I talked about, then you should go back down um, mm. to a lower level and wait. If you if you have the time, you need to wait it out, usually about 24 hours. Um, if you don't have the time, then probably you should end that climb. 
Mm. Um, because altitude sickness can be a real um, dangerous thing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's really good to know. Now, tell me your thoughts on uh, what I have heard for so long, which is people saying every time I fly, I get a cold. Uh, Are Mm -hmm. airplanes truly breeding grounds for all types of infections? Or is it more like, yeah, pretty much the same as the rest of the world? You know, because you're in a closed environment, people think that it's um it's worse for you, but the airplane circulation system is pretty good. Mm. Um, I actually, because I travel for work, I I flew throughout the COVID pandemic, um, and never once got COVID mm. while I was on an airplane. That being said, airplanes weren't as crowded as they are now. But I, I'm I just want to point out that the circulation system in the airplane is really good. Um, one of the problems I think people have is that you're touching everything. Um, you're even if your seatmate is sitting beside you and coughing, then of course, even the best of circulation isn't necessarily going to (laughs) help you with that. So I, I don't think it's the plane itself. I think it's just, um, our habits, um, and being in closer spaces, um, that cause problems for us. Yeah. Yeah. I gotcha. All right. So let's say I'm going out on the road. Maybe it's a domestic trip. Maybe it's international. Um, are there some common behaviors? You mentioned things like washing your hands. Are there any other common behaviors or rules of thumb, things that I should always follow, uh, just to give myself the best shot of having a successful trip, uh, and being healthy all the way through. Right. So, um, yeah. Um, one of the things is, especially if you're traveling overseas is to get the recommended vaccinations and medications for your destination. Um, Traveling in the U.S., the the same advice (laughs) um, probably um, works. The other thing is pack a a travel first aid kit um, with necessary medications. Um, Be mindful of what you eat and drink. Avoid high-risk foods. Wash your hands, as you just said. Protect yourself from insect bites um, with repellent, insect repellent, um, mosquito nets, especially when you're going out of country in the places um, where mosquitoes can cause malaria, Zika, and those other um, problems. Um, Let's see. When you're going overseas, get travel insurance. I'm a big proponent of travel insurance. People often um, say, no, I'm not going to do that. Um, but you think about it, if you spend $10,000 for a trip and you don't want to spend another couple of $300 for travel insurance, then <laughs> you, maybe you shouldn't go. <laughs> right. Travel insurance is such an important thing. Yeah. So those are some other things to think about. Yeah. You mentioned high risk foods or risky foods. Give us some examples of what those are that we should avoid. So, you know, p- street foods. Mm. are a good example. And that being said, I eat street foods because sometimes that's some of the best eating you can get. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What you have to do is you have to um, see what the locals are doing. If, if the, if there's not a lot of visitors to the food truck, then you probably shouldn't go there either. Mm. If there are not a lot of locals in the restaurant, then you probably shouldn't go there either. (laughs) But (laughs) Um, so, and of course, places that just don't look clean, 
Mm-hmm. Um, you should probably avoid those places. <laughs> yeah, uh, that makes a lot of sense. All right, so a lot of our listeners um, are leading groups. They might be uh, tour operators or, or they're in, in the business of travel. They take a lot of people out at a time. And some of them will take student groups. Some of them will take senior groups. Some of them have all age ranges. I know I certainly think about my health much more now than I did when I was a student. And I'm, I'm only you know in my 40s. Uh, how do these health considerations change with age? And what should... Uh, group leaders be thinking about differently for say that student group and for that senior group and the range of ages in between? Okay. Yes. So um, that's a very good question. Um, One of the things I would say is before the trip, if you are doing a group trip and you are the group leader, uh, make sure you collect a pre-trip health questionnaire from all of your participants. And this would include their medical conditions, their allergies and medications they're taking, their emergency contacts, um, any specific needs they may have. Because in an emergency, you don't want to be trying to gather that information. Um, No, if you can, um, find out about the area you're going to, the medical facilities that are available. Mm. Um, Consider partnering with a medical professional during the trip. Um, familiarize yourself with the healthcare infrastructure in your destination. Um, also, take a um, first aid kit tailored to the potential risks um, in your tri- uh, at, during your trip. So, not only should your clients take a first aid kit, but you should have one as well um, for the group. If, for instance, someone doesn't have something that they need. Um, The other thing is that you need to establish a clear communication plan for any emergency so that Mm. um, your clients will know exactly what um, the what needs to happen, what what's expected of them, um, what's expected of you, so forth. But um, as you said, there are definitely um, different age considerations. You know, young people tend to be um, very healthy. They don't have a lot of um, medical problems. And they tend to be risk takers. <laughs> mm, yeah. So that group, you're going to have to think about um, problems that may be very different from an older group um, that you would take with you. So you want to make sure that those young people have travel insurance, even though they don't feel that they need it. Um, you want to make sure that, um, you know, you talk to them about any risky behaviors. Um you want to make sure they have their first aid kit, that they research the, um, the destination. And just also when you're dealing with really young people, you want, you want to think about, unfortunately, alcohol and drugs yeah. um, and talking to them about that before you leave. As far as older patients, as you get into the 40s and the 50s and older, a lot of us have um, pre-existing conditions. We have medical problems, diabetes, hypertension. Um, so we're already on medication. So you want to make sure that you talk to your group about you have to have those medications with you and bring extra mm. and pack them in your carry on, <laughs> not yes. your check luggage. <laughs> For sure. I see so many people that just take their medications with them, put them under the plane, and then the baggage gets lost and they don't have their medications. Yeah. Um, let's see. Um, oh, you have to worry about maybe a, a more relaxed itinerary. 
um, or more time for downtime when you're dealing with older um, clients. Because, you know, we we need a little more rest <laughs> than yeah. that younger population. Yeah, no, that's that's great. You mentioned this um, this sort of preparation kit, almost a first aid kit. Um, what do you recommend that uh, we have our clients pack with them? And then what are maybe some of those supplemental things that that uh, trip coordinator or group leader should bring in their pack as well? Okay. So I client your clients, I, t- I encourage everyone to always have bandages, band-aid, um, band-aids of various sizes. Um, so you can just buy a little box or a little even travel pack of band-aids. Um, st- sterile wipes. So mm-hmm. whether that's the little alcohol um, swabs, um, any type of sterile wipes and antibiotic ointment. Um, people love neosporin. That's not my favorite because it's known to cause um, skin reactions. I recommend bacitracin ointment instead. Right. Um, it, it has very few reactions as compared to neosporin. Um, pain relievers such as ibuprofen or Tylenol, antacids, Tums, mm. Pepsid, um, Pepto-Bismol, Gas-X, um, and antihistamine, usually Benadryl, Claritin, Zyrtex, something like that. And every and, and everyone should have a flashlight and a mm. whistle. Mm. Um, and I also encourage a thermometer. As the group leader, I think it's probably important for you to have all of those things as well as different um, gauze pads, um, just in case there's something, to have scissors, tweezers, um, those are the main things I think should go in a, a sample first aid kit. Yeah. And a lot of those things, you pack them once and they're good indefinitely, right? You're right. Absolutely. Except that anything that's, that's a medication. So um, your Tylenol and ibuprofen, um, those are going to have expiration dates. Um, your your Tums. Tums will last forever because it's <laughs> really just calcium carbonate <laughs> and yeah. it's like chalk. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's not chalk, but it's, um, it will last forever. So Tums, you don't have to worry about as much, but anything that's a liquid, you also have to worry about, um, any of those ointments. So you want to look at those expiration dates. Gotcha. Okay. Well that, that dovetails really well with something I wanted to ask you, which is, uh, I would probably be embarrassed to show you my travel carry on because uh-huh. I've got half consumed, uh, over the counter and maybe even some leftover prescriptions from, you know, a cold or an infection or something I had two trips ago or a couple years ago. And I know lots of other travelers do this too. So can you give right. us the straight <laughs> scoop on whether it's safe to carry that, whether it's safe to use it if we're on the road and get the sniffles or whether we need to just toss all that stuff and start from scratch? Well, at some point you need to toss it and start from scratch. And okay. the recommendations for when to do that vary with the type of medication. So as I said, anything that's a liquid or an ointment, um, you have to be a little more careful with those because over time they break down. Mm. Um, so anything that looks off color, it smells funny, <laughs> it's a liquid instead of a gel. Yeah. <laughs> Those things need to be discarded. <laughs> Any peels that have changed color, 
that have broken up into pieces that just don't look right anymore. Those need to be discarded. There's a lot, there's a lot of literature out there about uh, different experiments people, um, companies have done to see if you can take antibiotics past their expiration date. What, what, what we know is that, yes, you can. The question is how much longer past their expiration date. And it really comes out, it's going to have to be a personal choice, I think. I have read studies where people, where antibodies can last five years past their expiration date. I've read other studies where they say, oh, no, a year or two. So I would say if I'm giving you advice, I would say a year is probably okay. Anything after that, you probably need to get rid of it. And then there are certain things like those liquids and gels that you shouldn't even go a year. Um, You should get rid of them. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's good to know. I've got some cleaning to do after yes. we're done here. <laughs> You're not alone. I'm sure. I'm sure. So that brings us to this business that you started, Travel Meds to Go, where you said, hey, I can help people with their medication needs when it comes to travel. And, and you mentioned uh, when we were talking specifically about the traveler's diarrhea, about going ahead and making sure you have something for that ahead of time. Tell us, I think that's not something most people know they can do. So tell us exactly kind of what that service is and how you operate it and why you operate it and why it's maybe something that not other people do. Right. So I started this service based on my love of travel and medicine. So I kind of was able to combine my two passions Um, One of the things that I discovered when I started traveling is that my primary care providers were very, very reluctant um, to provide me with these pre-travel medications. I did a lot of research. I discovered, okay, if I'm going to African countries, a lot of them, not all of them, Southeast Asian countries, I need something for malaria prevention. Mm. And um, I also need something for traveler's diarrhea. So I approached my primary care provider about these things and they would say, "Mm, I'm not comfortable doing that. No, you need to go to a travel clinic. Well, the first time I went to a travel clinic, I got a a real huge shock. Um, I think I spent about five hundred dollars. Wow. And I found out later that most of that stuff I could have gotten from my primary care provider and my insurance would have covered it. Mm. And I, as I traveled, I met other people that were um, experiencing the same. Um, they were going to these travel clinics. They were spending a lot of money. And I said, you know, this is something that I can help people with. Um, so I, you know, I travel extensively. I'm a physician. I know a lot about um, places that people are going. And that's why I decided to start this business. So you can come to Travel Meds to go and get your pre-travel medications. So if you need something for, uh, if you need an anti-malarial, if you need an anti-diarrhea, if you want to have um, a Z-pack just in case you get bad bronchitis or if you need an, another type of antibiotic like amoxicillin, then I can provide those things for you before you go on your trip. That's how I came up with the idea for it. Yeah, that, that's great. And does it matter what state people live in? I mean, what sorts of regulatory things are people having to think about? 
Yes. So it does matter what state you're in. So it's a tricky thing because let's say you're traveling in the U.S. and your home state is Idaho, but you're in Florida. Mm. Wherever you pick up that prescription, that's where my company has to be licensed. Mm. So right now I'm licensed in 15 states, um, but only nine of those states allow the type of telemedicine that I do. My telemedicine is a little unique in the sense that you fill out an online interactive interview. You don't see me in person via the um, video So because of that, there are a lot of states that are still a little reluctant um, to to allow that. So there are rules and guidelines about that. I think that those rules are changing as people become more comfortable with telemedicine in general. And what what we call mine is asynchronous telemedicine. Mm -hmm. Um, So as they become more comfortable with that, more and more states are jumping on board saying, "Okay, we will. You are allowed to do that. But in the meantime, there are maybe 30 states that allow asynchronous telemedicine. And I'm licensed in nine of those states working on more licenses. So if you are in physically in or planning to pick up medication in one of those states that I'm licensed in, then you can use my services. Yeah. Oh, that's that's great to know. And hopefully, as you said, that's something that more states will uh, get on board with and uh, make it easier for travelers everywhere to get the care they need rather than having to wait till you get home. I mean, that, you know, it could make the difference between enjoying the rest of your trip and ruining the rest of your trip. Absolutely. So when does somebody know uh, during a trip um, that whatever they're experiencing or their client is experiencing is serious enough that they really need to divert from the itinerary and go seek help in person at a clinic and emergency room, something like that? So as, as I talked about with the traveler's diarrhea, um, you know, if, if things are not getting better, if they're getting worse instead of getting better, Anytime you have severe pain, um, you need to be seen. Um, Anytime you are feeling dehydrated, um, feeling like you just you're just very worn out, you can't keep up. You need to be seen. Yeah. So anytime you have have high fevers, you know, a lot of times we get illnesses and you have a mild fever and that's okay. You take your Tylenol or, you know, you do the things to bring the fever down. Um, But if your fever is high, if it's 103, 104, you you need to be seen in um, someone's clinic. Anytime you have severe pain, anytime you have persistent vomiting, like you just cannot stop vomiting. Um, Anytime you have difficulty breathing, um, chest pain, of course, those Mm. are things that you absolutely need to be seen um, by a healthcare professional. And that may mean that your trip um, has to end. Um, and I cannot stress the enough, the importance of your intuition. Mm. If something is telling you, this is not right. Uh, I, I need to see a doctor, then go see a doctor because our, our intuition is very important. Um, some people like to ignore it, but I'm, I cannot stress the importance of, of how um, you need to follow your intuition. 
Yeah, absolutely. And then advocate for yourself once you get there, right? I mean, you, you know, absolutely. speak up until you're heard. Yes, yes. Keep shouting. I'm that something's not right. Something's not right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's super helpful. So what's the best way for people to uh, find you, follow you, connect with you, or uh, see if they can take advantage of your services? Yes. So I'm at Travel Meds to go. And that's either T T O or the number two, either one of those works. Okay. Travel Meds to go.com. Um, you can also follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and I'm on LinkedIn. Um, but if you want to actually um, um, get pre-travel um, medications with me, you need to go to the website and follow the links and get set up and I'll be happy to take care of you. Yeah, that's awesome. We appreciate it. Before we let you go, we have some just for fun questions we ask everybody. So okay. no pressure here. You can just answer off the top of your head. Uh, these are these are fun. Uh, when you book travel, do you book a window seat or an aisle seat? Aisle seat. Yeah. <laughs> I like to con- have the control. <laughs> <laughs> I feel you. I'm the same way. Uh, what's something in your carry-on that you wouldn't travel without? What in my carry-on that I would not travel without? That's a good question. Of course, my medication. You know, I pack this little travel bag that that I just can pick up and go. So it has all of my little toiletries in it, all of my mm. little hair products, my mm. and a change of clothes. So that if any emergency, I can just pick it up and go. And I'm just I can't think of what I would absolutely not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> travel oh, that's- with. That's the sign of a pro that you've got a bag ready to go at any moment. I do. (laughs) I do. I have a bag ready to go. (laughs) Yeah. No, that's great. So if you had a free airline pass in a week with nothing else to do, where would you head next? Oh, my goodness. I tell you, unfortunately, I can't do it in a week. So I guess I shouldn't use this one. But man, I want to go to Antarctica so bad. It's Mm. the only continent I have not been to. Um, And I'm just... Right now, I, I'm I'm trying to convince my husband. He's really worried about that Drake passage and mm. getting sick. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm trying to talk him into the fly and mm-hmm. and and um <laughs> and cruise option. But outside of that, the next place I would go that I if I had a week. Man, I've been to so many different places. I keep thinking of Australia. I've been to Australia, and New Zealand absolutely love those and would go back in a second. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as long as we're waving magic wands, I can give you two weeks or three weeks, whatever, <laughs> right. whatever it I'll takes take to it. go to, to Antarctica. That, that sounds amazing. So our last question is, uh, what is something you have seen or done on the road that you wish you could go back and experience again with somebody you love? Oh man. Oh man. Australia. So I went by myself um, before I got married and I um, went, basically, I was an older person. I was in my 30s at the time, but I joined a backpacker group Mm. and we hit the road and we went all over the outback and we spent Christmas Eve um, in the outback um, right at the base of Uluru. Um, and we, 
we were just sitting there and talking and laughing and having a drink and watching the sunset. And it was just the most wonderful experience. And I would love to do that with my husband, (laughs) not with them necessarily with the backpacker group, but just the two of us out there um, traveling and enjoying nature and just, oh man, it was Gives me goosebumps to think about it. (laughs) Mm, Sounds unbeatable. I hope you all get to do that. Dr. Tammy, thanks so much for joining us. This has been so helpful. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I sure hope you enjoyed that conversation with Dr. Tammy as much as I did. She was so helpful and there were a number of things she said that are important enough I'm going to hit them again just to make sure you don't miss this critical information that could help you and help your travelers deal with medical situations on the road. Now, when we were talking about pre-trip preparation, Dr. Tammy said, make sure you collect a pre-trip health questionnaire for all your participants. This would include their medical conditions, their allergies, the medications they're taking, their emergency contacts. In an emergency, you don't want to be trying to gather that information. And if you can, find out about the medical facilities available where you're going. And she went on to say that you should take a first aid kit tailored to the potential risks during your trip. Now, I know what you may be thinking. Gathering all that information just sounds like one more thing you have to do to get a trip off the ground. And it could be kind of a headache and the chances that you're going to use it are low. And you're right. But when it does happen that there is a medical situation on the road... And if you operate enough trips, it's going to come up. You will be glad you have that information on hand and all the work you put into all the times that you collected that information and didn't use it. Well, it's going to pay off in the long run. Now, when I asked her about uh, those old medications and prescriptions that so many of us keep in our backpacks or purses or carry-ons, our travel bags, Dr. Tammy said, At some point, you need to toss those and start from scratch. Anything that's a liquid or an ointment, you need to be more careful with those because over time, they break down. Anything that's off color, smells funny, or is a liquid instead of a gel, those things need to be discarded. Any pills that have changed color or broken up into pieces need to be discarded. And I would say a year past the expiration date is probably okay, but after that, you need to get rid of it. As I mentioned during the interview, I certainly am guilty of holding on to medications past their expiration date, and I have some cleaning up to do in my travel backpack. And finally, when we talked about how you know when it's time to seek help for a medical condition during a trip, Dr. Tammy said, if things are not getting better, if they're getting worse instead of getting better, or anytime you have severe pain, you need to be seen. If you feel dehydrated, or very worn out, you need to be seen. Anytime you have high fevers, if it's 103 or 104, you need to be seen in someone's clinic. Anytime you have persistent vomiting, difficulty breathing, or chest pains, you absolutely need to be seen by a healthcare professional. And she went on to say, I can't stress enough the importance of intuition. If something doesn't feel right, go see a doctor. You know, so many of the issues we deal with as travel planners on any given trip, uh, they can range from headaches to hassles, but every now and then 
you're going to encounter a situation that is actually critical. And it's so helpful to have a list of criteria like this from Dr. Tammy so that we know exactly when to call in reinforcements. Great stuff there from Dr. Tammy Allen. Well, you may have seen in the news recently that a federal judge blocked the proposed deal between JetBlue Airlines and Spirit Airlines that would have seen JetBlue buying out its smaller low-cost competitor for about $3.8 billion. The judge blocked the deal on antitrust grounds. Now, that is obviously a controversial decision with big ramifications for the travel industry. And it's the topic of today's Hot Minute. Yeah, that's right. The Hot Minute is the portion of the show where I take 60 seconds to give you my unfiltered views on an issue that impacts tourism every day. And today we are going to talk about whether or not our industry is doing enough to look out for low-end and cost-conscious consumers. So let's put 60 seconds on the clock and get into it. I'm no expert in antitrust law, so I don't really have strong feelings about the Spirit JetBlue merger, but something the judge said in his decision to block the deal caught my eye. U.S. District Court Judge William Young wrote that the elimination of Spirit would, quote, harm cost-conscious travelers who rely on Spirit's low fares. Now, I don't know if this is the right decision, but I'm glad to hear someone is at least thinking about travelers at the low end of the budget spectrum because travel prices have been rising at an alarming rate recently. And don't get me wrong, growth is good. But if growth in our industry ends up pricing cost-conscious travelers out of the market, that's a big loss. If we really believe that travel can change lives, shouldn't we want to make sure it's accessible to the people who can stand the benefit the most from it? I say we should all want as many people as possible to experience the joy of travel, even those who have to pinch pennies to do it. Well, that's the hot minute. That's how I see things anyway. Of course, as always, you're welcome to disagree with me and we can still be friends. And hey, whether you agree, disagree, have comments, thoughts, or ideas that I may never even have thought of, we would love to hear from you. You can reach us at podcast at grouptravelleader.com. I read every email that comes into that address. I love hearing from all of you and answering your questions and seeing what you have to say. So we welcome you to reach out to us there and you never know your thoughts, questions, or ideas might just be the topic of the next hot minute. And Hey, while you're in the mood to give us some feedback, would you do me a big favor? Would you go to your favorite podcast app, hit that follow or subscribe button, and then go over to the review section, give us a rating, leave us a review. That is super helpful. And I am grateful to all of you who have done that so far. My thanks as well to Dr. Tammy Allen for joining us today. On the next episode of Gather and Go, I'm going to bring you a really fascinating conversation with Kelsey Perry of Road Scholar. We're going to talk all about educational travel for adults and how you can build learning into your group trips in fun and engaging ways. You're not going to want to miss that. Until then, though, remember this. At the end of the day, we're all on this trip together. So let's make it a good one. See you next time on Gather and Go. Gather and Go is hosted and executive produced by me, Brian Jewell. Our publisher is Mac Lacey. Danya Simmons is our creative director. Ashley Ricks is our circulation manager and graphic designer. Our sales team is Kyle Anderson and Bryce Wilson. 
To advertise on the podcast, call Kyle or Bryce at 859-253-0455. Gather and Go is a production of the Group Travel Leader. For more information on our podcast, magazines, and events, visit us online at grouptravelleader.com. Thank you.